0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our first scripture reading is from the book of John. In fact, all of our scripture readings are from the book of John. Our first one is from John chapter 11, the verses 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night. That he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And we'll turn a number of pages to John chapter 20. We begin our reading where we left off this morning, John chapter 20 at verse 19. We'll keep reading through to verses 31 in our text this afternoon will be the verses 24 through 31. But we begin at John 20, verse 19, where we continue to read the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Then Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Love congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a little later on in this very worship service, 11 young people, of course depending on your perspective, for most of us, they're younger, they will profess publicly their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their desire to be committed to him as a living member of his church here in Langley. And so it's fitting that we come to a passage in John chapter 20 in which the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to his disciple Thomas and brings him to a confession of faith. And we'll see that John has recorded this so that we might know that this is what the Lord Jesus does. That he comes to his disciples He reveals himself to them, and he draws out of them a confession of faith. So the resurrected Lord brings his disciples to confess their faith. With Thomas, it is a struggling faith. It is for us at times as well. It was certainly, as Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God, a personal faith. It needs to be for us as well. It was for Thomas a word-centered faith. In fact, even more so for us, it is, and it was for him, a life-giving faith, even though Thomas would go on to die, yet he would live eternally. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a life-giving faith. It is, in the first place, then, a struggling faith. It is Easter Sunday, a day on which we mark the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we do every week, the first day of the week, when he rose from the dead. But yet in our text, this afternoon, we jump ahead one week from that Easter evening. The Lord Jesus had appeared to the disciples on the first evening, after he rose from the dead. This now comes one week later. We're still in Jerusalem But we're no longer in the garden where Jesus was buried near Golgotha, but rather we are inside the gates of Jerusalem in a house, probably again with the doors locked, just like it had been before, where the disciples were gathered together. And among the disciples gathered there, you can imagine that there must have been a certain buzz, a certain joy, relief, excitement. In fact, John even speaks about, the, the joy in verse 20 of chapter 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And certainly they must have continued to be living in that joy as they gathered together again one week later. Jesus Christ, their Lord, had risen from the dead. What he had said would happen came true. They had seen him. They believed in him. And these were men who were devoted to Jesus Christ. They had quit everything that they had been doing in order to follow him, to devote their lives to him. They had ministered with him. They had even received power from him to go out and do the kinds of miracles that he himself was doing. Healing the sick, driving out demons, preaching the gospel and the coming of the kingdom. And yet for these disciples, these very men, everything had come to a crashing or a screeching halt for them in the garden of Gethsemane. That night when he had been betrayed by one of their own and arrested by the chief priests and the elders taken to the Sanhedrin to be tried. They had all fled. An embarrassing reality for them, no doubt. More than embarrassing. No one had stuck around to defend their teacher, to protect him, or even to encourage him with their presence. It might have been difficult. It must have been difficult. In that time after he had died, before he rose from the dead and before they knew that he had risen from the dead, But yet their night of weeping had been replaced by a morning of joy when they had learned that Jesus, their Lord, had risen from the dead for the woman, then for Peter and John, and that evening Jesus had appeared to all of them. And they were overjoyed, relieved, excited. So many emotions, no doubt. All of them, that is, except for Thomas. Thomas had not been there among them that night. And now, while the other disciples spoke with joy and relief, it seems that Thomas was unmoved from his dejection and disbelief. John doesn't give a lot of description about exactly what Thomas was going through, but He would not, we know that, he would not believe their words unless I see the marks in his hands, unless I put my finger in them, unless I touch his side, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas has received... Quite a bad reputation, as this account has been passed on through the ages. We need to consider what's going on here to see what's really happening with Thomas. I think we have no reason to look down upon him. He's been called Doubting Thomas. He's also been called Thomas the Skeptic. And on one level he is. He demands to see the proof. But Thomas is no mere skeptic. This isn't an academic exercise for Thomas. He's not the kind of guy who needs to sit back and and will only believe things that are immediately apparent to him that always withhold judgment on these sorts of things. No, this is this is Thomas, the disciple of the Lord, who had been with him for three years. He isn't sitting in some sort of academic aloofness. He is sitting in dejection and despair he deeply loved his Lord. John gives us, in fact, more information about Thomas than the other gospel writers, both here and earlier in what we read in John 11. In John 11, Thomas distinguishes himself by his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other disciples had expressed some, some hesitance about following Jesus to Jerusalem. Lord, they said to him, we don't know if you should go back there because they tried to kill you there. It's not safe for you and for all of us to go back to Jerusalem. But it was Thomas that expresses that resolve and devotion when he says to the other disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Here was a man devoted to his Lord. Thomas was a man devoted to his Lord. But at the time when the Lord needed his help, Thomas was nowhere to be found. Perhaps Thomas would not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead because he took the blame for his death upon himself. And he didn't want to let himself off the hook that easily. We don't know exactly what was going on with with Thomas, but we do know this... He was struggling. He was struggling in his faith. Faith is a gift from God. When God gives the gift of faith, he gives it. You have it. But it is not always something that is an onward and upward kind of thing. It's not like once you have faith, you're set and you can just march through life. With, with strength. It says in Psalm 84, God's people go from strength to strength. Yes, but they often go through valleys of difficulty in between. The children of God, the disciples of Jesus, face struggle with, struggles with their faith. And brothers and sisters, that's an important thing for all of us to remember. This afternoon, for all of you, This is also a very important thing to remember. You are professing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there will be times in which you will struggle in your faith. You'll face struggles in this life, difficulties, hardships. That can make it difficult for your faith. Also, your Christian life is not a a walk in the park. You You don't just coast through it. It requires effort and work, and discipline, all of which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but which still involves us to be involved with this working out of our faith. At times it will seem like despite everything you're doing, there is little growth in your life. Perhaps it will seem at times as if you're going two steps backwards and only one forward. There will be peaks and valleys. At one time, we're so full of determination to serve the Lord faithfully, just like Thomas. Other times, we're overwhelmed and burdened and dejected, questioning, wondering, struggling in our faith. Sometimes, perhaps, we even feel no desire to serve in us at all. There are struggles In our life of faith. And how do we know this? Well, we know it from God's Word. It's all over the pages of Scriptures. Just think about the disciples, how they struggled. Think of all the saints, how they struggled. Hebrews 11, that long list of men of faith, but how those men and women struggled. And it's written all over Thomas here. Think about what's going on with Thomas the very best news that has ever been announced on the face of the earth at any time in history has just been announced to him. Your Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The gospel has been proclaimed to him by eyewitnesses who have themselves seen him. And what is Thomas's response? He despairs. He struggles in his faith. Struggles happen to the children of God. This is a very honest portrayal of Thomas. But why does the Holy Spirit include this? Why did he inspire John to write this about his fellow disciple? Certainly was not to cast Thomas down, to cast him aside, to make him look bad in any way. It's not to show how what a bad guy Thomas is, not at all. It's to show us how great our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. We'll consider the personal faith that Thomas expresses. What's so surprising about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our text is the way that he works with his struggling disciple. The way that he comes to him, the grace that he shows to him. He shows abounding grace. And here's the thing. He shows it to Thomas in just the way that Thomas needs it to be shown to him. In an especially personal and effective and meaningful way for this struggling disciple of his. Thomas is struggling. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes to him personally. And notice the way that he does it there. In our text, he doesn't come to Thomas and say, see here, I'm here. Here, Here's my hand. See, are you satisfied now? Will you finally believe everyone else believed? Why wouldn't you? No, he doesn't deal with him like that. Neither does he come and wait for Thomas to search him out. But He comes to Thomas in grace. He reassures his disciples again with that word of peace. Peace be with you. And then he comes and he speaks directly to Thomas. Thomas had demanded to see, to touch, and to lay his hands on. And so the Lord Jesus comes to him and asks him to see, to touch, and to lay his hands on. The Lord Jesus reveals here that he knows what is going on in the lives of his disciples. They had been speaking about him. They had told Thomas... Yes, they can, he can even see into their hearts. But he doesn't peer into their hearts in order to break them down and to leave them there. But he looks into their hearts to administer his grace in such a way as to strengthen their faith and to build them up. He comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, this is what you have asked to see. Here I am. I will come and I will speak directly to you. What abounding grace. What personal grace does the Lord Jesus Christ show to his disciples? How will Thomas respond? All Thomas can say in response is the confession. My Lord and my God. The Lord Jesus has personally revealed himself to Thomas. And Thomas confesses his faith personally he has come to him and so the only apt response is my lord and my god you see thomas didn't actually need the evidence he says nothing about him sticking his finger in his hand or placing his hand on his side seems thomas didn't touch a thing but what happened was he was overwhelmed by the personal revelation of the Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. That's all he needed. The Lord Jesus to come to him and reveal himself. It was a personal faith, and it must be a personal faith. It is a personal faith for all of us. Most of you here sitting at the front have grown up in the church. All of you were baptized as children. God's promises were given to you. You've been surrounded by faith. You've been surrounded by Christian nurture. You've been surrounded by Christians themselves. And yet you have experienced this personal grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a part of the body. Yes, you've been baptized into the church. You are a part of the church. You're part of a greater whole. And yet the faith of the greater whole, the faith of all of us, is not sufficient for you to be standing up here today and making a public profession of faith. In a sense, it doesn't matter that everyone else here might believe. What matters is that you believe. That goes for all of us. Yes, we are a body, but what matters is that we each individually believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have, we respond to the grace that He has first shown to us, to you and you and you and you, to each one of us. You are a member of the body and each one of you is a member of it. The Lord Jesus Christ, through his word and spirit, has revealed himself to you, convicted you of your sin, assured you of your salvation through his work, called you personally to serve him your whole life. And so this afternoon is a response to the grace that he has already shown to you. And fittingly, then, it is a personal response. But it's done, fittingly, also in the midst of the whole congregation. Each one of you will say your I do. And at the very center of that I do is the confession that Thomas made. The personal confession, my Lord and my God. It's a personal faith. It's also, we'll go on to see, a word-centered faith. Now, perhaps you're reading this account about Thomas you're hearing it being applied to the congregation in general and to the lives of these young people. You think, well, this is all great for Thomas. Who wouldn't be satisfied seeing the Lord Jesus Christ right in front of them? Having the opportunity, if they wanted to take it, to see his hands and touch the holes and feel his side. But what about all of us? What about the rest of us who are here after Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven? We haven't seen him. In the body, if we demand to see him, will he show himself? Isn't Thomas privileged, and we are all poorer than Thomas? This is all fine for him, but what does it mean for us? But actually, what the Lord Jesus Christ reveals here is that Thomas was the one who was poor, and that we are the ones who are richer. To quote the Lord himself, because you have seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, the Lord Jesus allows Thomas the privilege of seeing him. But he knows, the Lord Jesus knows that he will soon be going away. And although his going could be interpreted as a bad thing for, for Thomas and for the disciples, he over and over emphasizes before he died and after he died now in our text how good it is that he's going away. We are blessed because Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and we can't see him anymore. We're better off because of it, is what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about the reality in which we live today. We do not have Jesus Christ here in the flesh to show himself to us. We do not have the miraculous signs that he's done to confirm our faith any any longer. And do you know what? Jesus said that we are all richer because of it. We are all blessed because of it. Instead of these things, we have his word. And we have his spirit poured out on Pentecost. In John 14, Jesus said, If I don't go, I'm not going to be able to send my spirit to you. And you're going to be better off with my spirit living in your heart. Living in your very heart. Telling you what I have taught you. Revealing me to you. Strengthening you. Building you up. Changing you. The spirit is the one who will come and do these things. In the lives of Jesus' disciples. The Lord Jesus has not left us poor. He knows what he's doing. And he has given us his word and his spirit to guide us. Jesus Christ has given you his word and his spirit. And of course you know that. It's through his word that he has been revealed to you. And it's in response to that that you profess your faith and it's by his spirit and only by the power of his spirit that you have been able to perceive and believe in the jesus christ revealed to you in god's word and john knew this as he wrote these words as he wrote this section these words he goes on to say are written that you may believe we'll go on to consider the belief part but we shouldn't miss out on the written part John is writing these words, passing along the revelation of Jesus Christ in words that the church of Jesus Christ might always have them. That Jesus Christ can continue to build faith through his word and his spirit. John is recording the words and the life of Jesus so that the generations may continue to know that Jesus is the Christ Christ to believe in him, and to have life in his name. And so through these words, Jesus Christ is revealing himself to his disciples. This is where Jesus Christ reveals himself in his word to his disciples. When they're strong, when they're weak, when they're struggling, when they're triumphant, all of those the Father has given him, all who have been chosen for eternal life, Jesus reveals himself through his word. His word is what has brought you here. His word is what has nurtured you, has given birth to the faith within you, has given birth to you as Christians. His word will lead you on. Let his word never be far from your life. This morning sitting in the pew as Pastor Vischer was mentioning the reading. He mentioned the reading, and there was this, this beautiful sound. I don't know if we've ever noticed the beautiful sound that happens. We're going to read this, and all of a sudden you hear this, this noise. It's a beautiful sound. Can you imagine if we didn't hear that sound? We're going to read God's word. Okay. We'll just listen then. No. This is God's word. It's important to us. We need to read it, and not only on Sunday morning, but also on Sunday afternoon. But not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. Let that be a beautiful sound that is always heard in your life. The sound of the rustling of pages in your Bible. As Jesus Christ continues to reveal himself and enlighten your hearts and your minds and build your faith in him. It's a word-centered faith. It's also a life-giving faith. Life. This is what we come to by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life. Today, tomorrow, forever. This is what you gain through faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Where you ever grow in knowledge of God. And to mention that, to say that you come to eternal life, we have to know where we came from, which is death. We cross over from death into life. We don't come to, from, to profession of faith like we move from the, the infant nursery to the toddler nursery or something like that. You get to a certain age and then you go there. You're no longer fit in the other one. You gotta go there. No. This is not something natural, a natural progression. The, the response of faith is a supernatural progression. It's it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It can only be done by the Spirit, and it is a miracle for anyone to be able to confess that Jesus is the Christ. It's entirely by the work of the Holy Spirit and accomplished by the work of Jesus Christ. You've crossed over from death to life. Jesus Christ has lived an obedient life that you could not. Jesus Christ has suffered the penalty of sin. So that you would not have to. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Cursed by God. Because you could not do that yourself. Through his work on the cross. Jesus Christ has freed us from sin and darkness. And won for us eternal, immortal, imperishable life. And that life begins already now. For all of his disciples. For all of his children. That life has already begun in you. What characterizes that life? Well, it's a, it's a freedom from sin and guilt because that's been paid for by the work of Jesus Christ. Free from the guilt of sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit to fight against sin all the days of your life. It's a life where you give testimony to Jesus Christ. That's a recurring theme of the, the gospel of John. As Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, his disciples give testimony to him, to the world, to each other, to everyone they meet. You bear testimony to Jesus in this life. You bear fruits of thankfulness as Jesus works in you by his Holy Spirit. And you become firmly embedded in the life of the body of Christ. You're always a part of his body, working in the church, encouraging, serving, leading, helping, giving, and more, all for the benefit and the blessing of others. This is all gained by faith. Faith unites you to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord and giver of life. When you're united to Jesus Christ, you have begun to live the eternal life. The life that is truly life. You don't do this by your own strength. You won't continue on by your own strength. It was begun by God's power. It's all worked by God's power. It will end by God's power so that... why. God may receive all the glory. Jesus Christ comes to us, reveals himself in order to draw out of us the confession that he is truly our Lord and our God. And that is the confession that he will hold us in through his word and spirit. That is what the confession that we will forever, for all eternity, be able to express in ever new and meaningful ways as we grow in the knowledge of the one who once revealed himself and continues to reveal himself and always will continue to reveal himself as we grow in the knowledge of his glory, of his grace, and of his love. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.